0: hello Tim hi Carl how are you
1: okay just waiting for Carol to join us on our podcast great I'm going to uh, I should say that I got a a, a email from a listener who uh, said that she loved the new format
0: (laughs) you you were kind enough to send that to me
1: (laughs) (laughs) and so who knows what's going to happen here (laughs) <laughs> Carol may have committed yourself to much more than you had expected.
0: Yeah, yeah it's fun actually. It has been, I've, I've really enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. And uh, I wish I'd had this information when I was struggling over some of Here's, these very questions.
1: Here she is, Carol. Hello. Hi, you just missed something. What? Tim just committed you to several more podcasts. (laughs) Oh, he did. (laughs) We were talking talking about an email I got from a listener who said she loved the new email format. (laughs) So now you're stuck. (laughs) Well, she liked the
2: format. She may want a variety of...
1: (laughs) Maybe, but that isn't what she was saying. Um, So this is part five of what we've been calling the... um, Mechanics uh, of biography, uh, the practices, and the principle. And uh, today we're at the business end of it, uh, and anything else we can think of, uh, which may lead us to another part. Who knows? So we'll turn it over to
0: him. Well, thank you very much, uh, Carl. And uh, Carol, it's nice to hear your voice. on our last podcast, we considered some of the business aspects of biography, um, whether to publish with a university or trade press, whether authors need an agent, and the role of readers, coaches, and, and editors. Now, before we begin on today's topics, are there any comments that either of you would like to make on the points we canvassed last time? Carol I,
1: I don't know if Carol does.
2: I think... I think we talked I talked about having friends read a manuscript uh, but I've also of course found editors to be absolutely wonderful and I think a lot of new writers are afraid of editors Mm -hmm. because editors often don't bother to compliment you they just get about their business of making your book better and of course there are editors out there you might be unfortunate to find one who doesn't understand what you're trying to do and that's worrisome but uh, I think people need especially writers with a first or second book need to try to get on a wavelength with their editor and and make that a successful collaboration and I've never used a coach myself although I've had other biographers help me and that's the basic idea of the biographers international coaching program which which i think works quite well i've coached a couple of people and enjoyed it a lot myself
0: well speaking as one of the people you coached uh, <laughs> i found it i found it a remarkably uh, useful exercise carol you were it was fun it was a great deal of fun apart from anything else and you taught me a lot I've worked
2: with a variety of of subjects. At first I thought I needed to understand the subject, but uh, I find it interesting to try to help someone with a biography that's something I know nothing about because then you can really focus on the structure. You don't get distracted by all the information. Mm
0: -hmm. Carl, you have any um, editing experiences, particularly terrible ones, that would be interesting for people to hear about? Uh,
1: I'm not sure about uh, edit, uh, terrible editing experiences per se. I'm, I'm thinking about addressing, I know some some of the listeners to this podcast are first-time biographers or maybe just considering doing biography, and I wanted to tell a little story Um about uh, my own experience with my first biography, which was of Marilyn Monroe, which was pretty easy in terms a publisher, and it wasn't, because th- we're going back now to the 80s, uh, and publishers were already saying, oh, uh, there have been too many books on Marilyn Monroe, which is pretty funny, uh, given all this happened since then. Uh, and one of my other problems was it was a serious biography. When I called it a life of the actress, I really meant I was going to deal with her acting, not not just the sensitive aspects of her life. Anyway, to make a long story short, I didn't have an agent, and this is what first-time biographers are often that often happens. And sometimes, if you can if you can get agents to uh, to deal with you, even if they reject you, they can sometimes say some good things that is helpful things about how to pitch your book or about how to write your book. Uh, I finally got an agent, and I won't get into that whole story, uh, for the Marilyn Monroe book. And the first thing she said is, I can't tell it. Uh, so why was she my agent? She was my agent because she said, you have published this your dissertation, Uses of the Past in the Novels of William Barnes. Use that publisher because you say they're interested in it. They'll pay you next to but give them only three years to publish the book. And uh, keep all the other rights, foreign rights, et cetera, audio rights, uh, any other rights you can think of. Uh, and they'll probably go for it because it's a big title for them. It's uh, it's something they'll wanna they want to do. Long story short, they made it their big title for three years. Then they sold it to a British publisher. who published a hardcover. That was sold then to a paperback publisher. I have not made a fortune of for that book at all. Um, it might be in- interesting to listeners to hear this. Uh, this book has gone through several editions. First published in 1986, it's been republished by University Press of Mississippi. My guess is—I've never really counted up all the dollars—but my guess is, in total, over all that time, I probably made ten thousand dollars from this. That.
0: That—that is interesting, you know. And I think that people who are considering writing biographies might be interested in learning. Uh, a bit more, I mean, are there people who actually are able to make a living writing biography, or is it uh, an activity which is subsidized by teaching jobs or other uh, grants or other ways of subsidizing it?
1: Well, I think the vast majority of biographers could not make a living in biographers. Uh, there are the stars who get 100,000, 100,000 or more. Uh, dollar advantage. Uh, I've never seen such an advantage. Um, and I don't think most biographers do. Um, so it's grants. Uh, it's an anyway you can finagle a free trip, uh, maybe speaking at a conference. Um, Anyway, for me, it's Marriott points. You know, when, I, when my uh, university sponsored the trip of mine, I made sure I stayed in Marriott so I could get points. When someone wasn't sponsoring my trip, I could I could uh, take care of from my hotel stays. I mean, there are all kinds of tricks someone who can't support themselves writing have to do.
0: Well, that seems to be right at the heart of the business of biography. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you know, yeah.
0: It may not be such a great business.
1: <laughs> it's not a wise business decision. You have to <laughs> it for other reasons, I think.
0: It's clearly a labor of love. Yes. Um, so perhaps we could begin uh, considering some other aspects of uh, the business of biography by uh, talking about the, the publishing contract. And... Um, I'd be interested in knowing uh, whether either of you have lessons that you learned uh, about negotiating the contract, if there were particular points that troubled you or um, which uh, stuck out in your mind. I have a few particular things I'll raise later, but just generally, uh, what was your experience negotiating the publishing contract? Carol, would you like to start?
2: Uh, My experience... With uh, the Carver and the Adams biographies was that my agent did a wonderful job. Uh, even so, I when I received a contract from a trade publisher, I had the Authors Guild attorney go over it. And she did make some suggestions. Uh, I, the Authors Guild is a wonderful way uh, for, the, for your annual membership of $100 or whatever it is now you you know you have the services of an attorney to review it and it's an attorney who specializes in authors issues. So that, that's really worth doing. Uh, she made a few changes and I believe the publisher accepted most of them. I'm sorry I don't remember what they were. They were minor things. Uh-huh. Um, the, some of the things you can if you are getting an advance you can uh, negotiate when you get it. You can try to get more of it up front rather than wait until the book is finished. And that's certainly helpful because even if you aren't going to profit on this thing, you need a budget to do the work. So it does help if you can get more of the money as soon as you get a contract rather than waiting.
0: Thank you, Carl. How about you?
1: Well, I want to say what Carol says about the Authors Guild, the absolutely splendid organization. I've used them so many times, uh, partly of the VET contracts that she has done. Uh, they've advised me when uh, there are certain legal questions that have come up. As an Authors Guild member, you have, you have access to the VET. I think that's, that's extremely important. I feel so strongly about the Authors Guild, that I, I, not that this is worth a lot of money, but I'm going to leave my literary estate. The field. I'm going to invest the copyrights in my books uh, to them. I haven't gotten around to doing that. Yet, but I should really So I really feel that that's important. Um, as to the contracts, um, the fastest growing book market, fastest growing part of the book market is audio, uh, and I always try to reserve those. Roles. Uh, it doesn't always work. It depends on what's being offered. Sometimes the publisher feels the book has legs. That it's going to sell it very and in various ways. They might buy world rights, and often that will include the audio. But if the figure is big enough, the advance is big enough, I would probably go with that. But in most cases, I try to keep every single right I can so that either I or my agent uh, can get uh, translations, can get... The audio done and so on. So, I think that's really important. I think just the basic thing to say to people in looking at contracts is they say, Well, should I write a lawyer? And I'm certainly not against lawyers, I'm married to one. Uh, but I'd say, Not a lawyer unless that lawyer is in publishing, because it's a very specific kind of contract with all kinds of interesting clauses that are written in the publisher's favor. And it's more likely, more like the author's skilled or an agent will be more skilled than just any lawyer in looking at it. Now, of course, some lawyers specialize in this kind of thing, and so it would be certainly fine.
0: If you're a lawyer. Thank you. Um, just before we move into some of the contractual terms. Um, a preliminary consideration: uh, What is the advantage or disadvantage of hard covers as opposed to soft covers? And uh, is it something that that you should try uh, to achieve?
2: Um, I don't know that there's a huge advantage anymore. Most trade publishers publish hardcover first, and nowadays they want the paperback rights as well, it's difficult to reserve your paperback rights or get someone to publish just a paperback in the trade world. Um, I think electronic versions are probably becoming more important than any distinction between the two kinds of print books. Personally, I love paperbacks. They're just easier to read, so carry around with you. I, I would always. If if you had to choose between a hardcover and a paperback, I don't know. I think that would be rough. Hmm. The longevity would go to the hardcover because the best thing you can have for a book is to have it live in libraries for many years. Mm -hmm. But for sales, I imagine paperbacks would be beneficial.
0: Carl, what are your comments?
2: Well, uh, I, I like paperbacks.
1: Carol sent me a paperback copy of her uh, biography, Alice Adams, and I read it right away. Um, I think that uh, it's a very useful uh, format that you can take around with them. And yet I've noticed that publishers publish, will publish a hardcover in ebook, and sometimes they won't publish the paperback uh, after they see what the sales are like. Or if the hardcover does well enough. I think this is true of my Dean Andrews Bible for example, it's never going into paper. Uh, and it's not because copies hadn't been sold so well, but they reprint and reprinted and it's a big stock of hard books, and they apparently seem to recently paper back yet. Mm-hmm.
0: If you don't mind now, perhaps we can turn uh, to a, a different issue concerning the nature of the contract, the publishing contract. Um, many of them uh, contain... Um, certain warranties, which the author is required to give. uh, And uh, among other things uh, that the author is in fact, the sole author that nothing in the work had been published before that the work is original and will not violate copyright or privacy rights of third parties, that there's nothing libelous or obscene in the uh, material. And further, that the, then the author is has to indemnify the publisher if any of these warranties are breached. I, I would imagine that there are similar provisions in the contract that, uh, that you have uh, entered into. And I wonder what your views are on the requirement that you um, warrant these things and then indemnify the publisher in case someone down the line decides that they're is a breach of copyright or a breach of privacy or perhaps something libelous in the work. Carl, how how have you approached this?
1: Um, I think it's almost impossible to get those clauses taken out of a contract. I've never heard an author who was able to do that. Uh, I think in most cases, as a practical matter, uh, unless it is a controversial book, uh, the author, it looks terrible in writing that you're indemnifying them and that you're the one who's on the hook. Most lawsuits I've seen uh, have, sometimes they've been against the author, but usually it's the author and publisher because the person who's doing the suing knows that it's likely that the person with pockets with the money is the publisher, not the author, That's going to cover uh, whatever damage they think they've they've, uh, suffered. So I think that's part, I think it's, it's, uh it's it's a, a part of doing business with publishers it's hard to get them. now sometimes when the subject is controversial or the publisher is almost anticipating usually they don't give you a contract for a book like that but w.w norton wanted to do this, this contact biography my wife and i wrote and they actually took out a libel insurance policy who had it. Fairly hefty deductible. My wife and I figured out if the first edition sold out, we would make enough money to pay the deductible. We were sued for libel. We thought, even though the book, uh, even though Santay was hostile to the book, we didn't, we didn't think we'd get sued, and and we weren't sued. But the publisher did go that extra step uh, to to have a libel insurance policy.
0: That is interesting. Uh, Carl, you, as I've said before, I think we've joked about before, I mean, you take quite a bold view of the uh, ability of of you to um, defend uh, charges of breach of copyright uh, with fair use counter arguments. Um, And uh, have you thought about how you would proceed in the future? Do you still take the robust view that it's best to um, proceed and uh, down the torpedoes?
1: Pretty much so. Uh, I've been very fortunate in that. Uh, well, uh, let me think. Um, at least three of my books have been vetted by lawyers. And that that wasn't a terrible process. With my first Martha Gellhorn biography, it came out right after the J.D. Salinger uh, decision. It came to say... Uh, to biographers and historians you, you really couldn't quote from unpublished material um, even paraphrasing risky the law has been rewritten in US law anyway since then so that it's it's not quite such a perilous matter uh, it is i suppose what i do taking somewhat of a risk uh, i never take those risks without consulting my wife who happens to be an attorney and any chance i get when biographers are now or anyone else as a panel of lawyers, I proposed several things. I, pr- I, I proposed to them about my Faulkner bi- our biography. I said, Well, I'm going to do such and such a thing. Uh, what do you think? What are my chances of anyone objecting or, or suing me? Um, and fortunately, I got the right answers. So I just plowed ahead. So I still do take that robust view. I have to say one thing, of course. In the end, it's not up to me, it's up to the publisher. It depends on how much this is with the publisher, or even if the issue arises. It's not the case; the issue has never even arisen uh, with the publisher. In, in my case, so I, I haven't had to deal with that. I think it would have uh, arose if I had said, "Oh, I'm worried about that." Well, then they get worried. So mm-hmm. I, I never present myself as a worried author.
2: <laughs>
0: That's, that sounds yeah, that sounds right. How about you, Carol?
2: Um, I'm glad, Carl just said that about never presenting himself as a worried author, because I was wondering what I could add to this conversation. And then that he said that. I presented myself as a very worried author. Like <laughs> biography. because of, as I told you in a previous podcast, I had a, not only an opposed estate, but the estate of uh, widow represented the estate, had taken out a restraining order against me at some point during my research. So I had no idea what she might do next. Uh, so I and uh, so I didn't hold back on being worried and wanting as much support from the press as I could get. Uh, and they provided it once they had committed to the book. Uh, so I, I think in that case, I'm certainly glad that I was upfront about having these concerns because it would have been hard to finish the book if I, you know, had kind of secret concerns. Or <laughs> uh-huh. um, and, but they were, the, the uh, publisher's attorney who reviewed the book really reassured me at every point, you know, uh-huh. and we changed a few things. But once I'd been through that process, I felt much better about it. Uh, right before the book was published, when the publication date had been announced, and I believe even reviewers' copies, advance copies had been sent out, uh, my editor received a request from the estate to review the manuscript. And he seemed quite alarmed by that, but he simply refused to send it. and. Uh, to see what he was made of, and that made me feel better too. Hmm. So uh, you know, it it can be. And, and can I bounce a question back to Tim? Can you explain what indemnify really means?
0: Well, it means that uh, if the um, publisher is successfully sued because one of the warranties the author has made turns out to be faulty, for example. Um, if the author warrants that there's nothing libelous or obscene in the work, but someone successfully uh, sues uh, and in libel, um, then uh, the author's uh, obligation to indemnify the publisher would require that the um, that the author pay the costs of the libel uh, suit. Uh, so it's a it's a pretty it's a very heavy burden. Uh, if it were, uh, if, if it were applied. I mean, I just don't know frankly how much litigation there is, uh, against books. Um, it would seem to me that one of the, uh, reasons not to sue is that the, uh, the suitor has to be pretty confident they have a, a good case
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: because the costs of launching uh, a lawsuit are considerable.
1: Yes. And it's, it's, um, it's interesting in England, it's easier for people to sue than it is in, in the US. Uh, but on the other hand, if you sue, if you're the plaintiff and you lose the case, you have to pay the other side's legal fees. Yeah. So it's a real mm-hmm. serious problem in England if you actually go to court. Usually um, uh, authors or publishers can be scared in England because it, it, it is it, it's much easier uh, uh, for uh, the plaintiff to go to court in the first place, and so it has a chilling effect. One other thing about this business of indemnification and rival and so on—the point that Carol was making about a request from an estate to book before it's published—that's the most dangerous moment in the life of the book. Because if the publisher and the author consent for the estate or the subject of the biography, the subject still alive, to review the manuscript, there is the possibility that a preliminary injunction could be filed, preventing uh, the immediate publication of the book. Could be held up uh, for a considerable time. It's much less likely that you're going to get sued, even if you get threatening letters. If the book is out in the marketplace, uh-huh. it's a very difficult process, at least in the U.S., the law I'm most familiar with. If the, the, the game is lost. Uh, if if the, the author and publisher have successfully published, there, there are a few cases where novels or uh, biographies have been withdrawn and cults, but it's pretty rare.
0: Yes, in, in, uh, in the story that I tell about Mary, um, she uh, attempted to prevent Uh, A.E. Hotchner from publishing Papa Hemingway and sought an injunction. Um, uh, She essentially argued that uh, Hotchner had uh, stolen her personal property, that is, uh, Ernest Hemingway's intellectual property. Hmm. Uh, And uh, it it was a complicated little lawsuit, but it really went nowhere. She lost at, at trial, she lost on appeal, Indeed, nine judges in total who considered her case all ruled that uh, her, her arguments were without merit. Um, after she lost, she nevertheless tried to persuade the publishers they ought not to proceed. Um, they did. Uh, her, her concern was that Ochner, uh disclosed the breakdown in Hemingway's personality and into suicide, and she had been trying to keep that, really a secret she had she she maintained that his death was an accident rather than suicide she was trying to prevent that story from coming out but she was she was unsuccessful uh extremely unsuccessful actually if you read the litigation so, so that, Senator,
1: i have a question for you yeah uh, are you indemnifying your publisher
0: yeah i think as uh, <laughs> As you pointed out, it's very difficult <laughs> yes. to have these terms removed, uh, you know. Um, so I think that um, what it really boils down to is risk assessment. Uh, how, how big a risk are you running that uh, someone may feel libeled by something which is said in the book? Uh, and if so, are they likely to sue and are they likely to win? Um, and so I think it's important to take a look at what you say about people to determine really whether it's, it is possibly libelous or whether you are um, possibly uh, breaching someone's privacy should at least I think it's important to at least consider those things, not to be uh, timorous about it, but uh, to uh, assess it, uh, and decide whether well maybe you should say something a little differently in order to reduce the risk. Um, but I, I think the reality is that publishers are not going to uh, relax the requirement that uh, authors will be required to indemnify them, uh, and that uh, as a result, um, authors have to uh, have to protect themselves and have some idea about what what risk they're running That's why I love you Carl I think <laughs> I, just, I think you're absolutely right you just have to push these things
1: well you know and uh, biographers are going to listen to all sorts of people, not just lawyers, people they interview people who think they know something about your subject or your subjects attitudes So my wife and I heard it was almost a refrain you're not going to talk about Susan Sontag's sex life, are you? You're not going to talk about her lesbian relationships, are you? And our answer was always, yes, of course we are. And they said, oh, well, you'll get sued. And I said, think about this for a moment. Susan Sontag, a denizen of New York City, is going to sue her biographers and claim what? That we've libeled her because she's lesbian? I mean, isn't that absurd on the face of it? And yet, yeah. people would say this all the time: that oh no, you can't say those things.
0: Yeah, that's that's right. Sort of, I think that it's it's pretty easy to be conservative here. But on the other hand, if you're going to write a book that people are going to be interested in, I think you have to take a few chances.
2: <laughs> I totally agree. Um, it's not just about the subject of the book, though. Of course, if it if we're talking about someone recently alive, we have people who are their friends and family that are in our book, too. So that's that's, that's just right. Just to be aware of. Maybe there are questions of how respectful you need to be. It may not just be a legal question.
1: Mm-hmm. That's true. A very quick story. Uh, when I was doing the Lillian Hillman biography, she had a, a, lots of lovers. And one of the lovers uh, I wanted to interview... And uh, I couldn't get him to talk to me. Uh, years later, I met him at a party. Uh, he was a friend of a friend of mine, and he said, "You know, you got it wrong, Carl." He said, "I I, I was close friends with William, but I was never her lover." And then this was a, a a man who I believed when he said that. Uh, and I guess he could have created trouble for me because I mean, I didn't I didn't have any raunchy stories. About him or, you know, I just, I just said sort of in passing that he was one of the lovers, and so when he said this to me, the only thing I could think to say is, I said, "Well, that serves you right for not talking to me."
0: <laughs> That's good. I'd like to move along to uh, the question uh, once again, coming back to money uh, and royalties, uh, and what, what is your experience? in collecting royalties, in having publishers uh, report accurately. Um, have, you, have you had any difficulties in this area?
2: I haven't had any difficulty with the reporting, and I've yet to see any royalties <laughs> <laughs> because I got pretty decent advances and <laughs> I'm still earning them out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I'd say that sounds like success. <laughs> they Humble haven't you, asked me to pay
2: back the advances. I'm <laughs> happy
0: about that. That's good. What's well, your experience, Carl?
1: Well, for a moment there, I thought Carol was gonna make me feel real bad which, you know, that she was collecting all these royalties. <laughs> 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 Same here. Uh you gotta, you gotta get that advance. For a trade publisher, you gotta get as large an advance as you can. Most biographies do not earn out their advances. Let's say you get fifty thousand dollars, so you know, get the royalties. That may be the only money you ever see for a particular book. I know for a homie, Diane Johnson wrote a biography of Dashiell Hammett, and she got a one hundred thousand dollar advance, and she said she never saw another dime. You know, that was all she ever saw. That was, that's a pretty good advantage for a literary. Really. Um, but th- that was it, she did, never. Now, I do get royalties, but there are royalties on books for which the advances were quite small. So that's not very quickly. And over the course of time with a few of these, uh, with Dana Andrus, for example, especially, uh, I've earned as much in royalties from the Dana Andrews book as from my Sylvia, Sylvia Plath biography. Um, I've never seen any royalties from the Sylvia Platt biography. On the other hand, I got an of 20 times more than I got for uh, the, the David Andrews biography, which uh, neither I nor the publisher thought would sell that well and sold extremely well. Um, so I think that's important. I've also been delighted uh, with the two Faulkner biography, a university press book, University of Virginia Press, and I got the first royalty statement, the book had earned out, and, and then some. And that was just for the first volume. Uh, I haven't seen the royalty statement yet on the first and the second volume. So I, I was pleased and I was kind of surprised.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, let's turn now to considering uh, movie rights. Do you uh, have hopes that any of your works will be uh, converted into film? And um, how do you see this? Is this something that a biographer should aim for? Carol, how about you starting?
2: Um, <laughs> uh, with the Raymond Carver biography, I actually did have someone contacting me, and he mm-hmm. uh, flew to somewhere I was. Was it San Diego? I was in San Diego for a conference with my husband, and this guy came down from L.A., and... It was all exciting. We had breakfast, and, and <laughs>
0: that then, is exciting. That wants to be a oh, big. Nothing,
2: thing. nothing ever happened, and it's really not clear. You know what they're paying for, because unless they hire you to write something, that would be nice. But uh, I don't know. Maybe Carl can enlighten us. I, if they're doing a documentary, then you know you might be asked to speak on it or something like that. But uh, I'm this was to be some other kind of book about Carver, and they loved my book, but they weren't making a movie of my book. So, you, you know, it really wasn't clear what I had to sell them. And maybe Carl can explain. You know, well, once, once we have put the information out there, is it, is it kind of publicly available for anybody to use in their screenplay? Pretty much in terms of the facts,
1: there are things in my Hellman biography, for example, particularly uh, how Libby and Hellman first met with Hammett. I was the first one to find out exactly how that happened, and I've seen that in several you know, docudramas about Hellman and Hammett. And I don't get any credit for that. They can do that. Uh, they, can, they can pretty much mine books. Um, usually, Hollywood producers and movie studios, they do have the deep pockets. They want to avoid any kind of just the complications of some author suing them or something. So they'll take an option out in the book, and usually very little money down. It's like $5,000 usually for an option. My Martha Gellhorn biography has been optioned three times. Uh, <laughs> once by Disney. Uh, and I got a call from somebody at Disney, and they, they said, obviously, they hadn't even read my book, they just I guess they thought it would be a good story. Maybe the Hemingway tradition. And they said, well, do you think you could get Martha to cooperate? <laughs> 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 my reaction, Carol's reaction, I laughed. <laughs> she won't cooperate. She'll kill it. You know, she'll kill everything she can. She's already tried to kill my biography. She certainly not going to cooperate. Now, this business about the, Carol's experience with having lunch and so on, um, again, with the Gelman book, there was a, a British production company that said they were gonna do a movie. They were all gone ho about it. Um, a, a, um, the producer took me to this really, you know, pop in Ivy in London and <laughs> And I'm thinking, you know, and she's pointing out people, you know, she said, oh, over there, that Sam Menendez, you know, at the table, you, know, you just did American Beauty, you know, here's this other rock star. And I'm thinking, you know, ours are in my eyes, you know, we're going to make millions of dollars. from this. <laughs> so, so, you know, we had this absolutely jolly dinner. Uh, and then uh, she, she asked me where I was staying. And actually, at the time I was staying with Michael Foote and Hampstead. Mm-hmm. Normally, what I would do, you know, meeting somebody is I would just, you know, take the tube to Hampstead and walk to Michael's house. Uh, but she said, Oh, no, no, you can't do that. <laughs> signal to the waiter, you know. And, and, you know, soon enough, two limousines arrive one for her and one for me. Uh, and again, I'm thinking, Yeah, <laughs> awesome. after all these years, made it. you know, next up, Sam Menendez. <laughs> So, so the limousine takes me to Michael Foote's home in Hampstead. And just as we arrive, the driver turns around. He looks at me. He said, that'll be 15 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Movie was never made. And I don't have that 15 pounds anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a great story, Carl. Now, what about when the book is finished and you're about to promote it? Um, How important are reviews? And uh, how do you go about getting reviews? Carol, do you want to start on that?
2: Well, ideally your publisher has a publicist and they get the copies out to reviewers. Uh, I'm kind of old school. I still think that newspapers should publish book reviews, but very few of them do. So I think it, it does require the author to suggest venues that might give reviews. Uh, you can't count on your publicist, who's probably taking care of ten other books. Mm-hmm. They, they may do the mailing and the cover letter and all that kind of thing, but you really have to help them think of places to send it.
0: That's interesting. How about you, Carl? What do you What do you think? I mean, you are you are a Uh, A reviewer yourself, you've reviewed many many books.
1: Yes, I started um, most of my review dates from around 2003. I did review some before then, but I actually had a a gig, a a once-a-week review column for the New York Sun that went on for three years. Uh, And I learned a lot about uh, what books get reviewed. The most important thing, I think, for people listening is um that book has to get if it's new especially it has to get in an editor's hand newspaper at least three months before the book is published people write me all the time and they say i know you review your book has just come out you know how can i get it reviewed basically uh, unless you know it's a surprise success or something unless you've prepared the way three to six months beforehand your book's not going to get reviewed, at least not in newspapers in magazines and journals. Yes, depending on the kind of book it is. Uh, and Carol's right. Uh, the number of reviews that appear now, particularly in newspapers, is, there just aren't very many of them anymore. And uh, it's trendy topics. You know, it's it's a, it's a very narrow range of books that gets released. even in the New York Times book review. It's a very narrow range. Um, I, I was—I have to be honest—I was shocked. My Faulkner biography was not reviewed in the Washington Post or uh, the New York Times uh, or any any of the major uh, newspapers at all. Uh, I was naive. I thought, even though it's University of Virginia Press, it's not a trade house. I thought, given all the reviewing I did, all the books I had written, that this book would, you know, would, would be reviewed. Uh, and uh, by and large, it hasn't been. Uh, what has saved me is social media. Uh, it's the book blogs. It's it, uh, it's the uh, podcast interviews, like the podcast we're doing today. That's how the word has gotten out, and the book has sold. Uh, that 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 market for certain kinds of literary biographies and other kinds of biographies as well just doesn't. It? You you have to you have to create it now yourself uh, through social media.
0: Well, actually, that was going to be my next question. How, how has social media transformed things, and how do you take advantage of it? What steps should an author take to promote a book? Maybe you could just car- carry on a bit, Carl, before I ask sure. car- Carol for her comments.
1: I started in 2009 with my Dana Andrews biography um, because I was very worried. I was very happy to do the book. I told, I told you I wasn't worried. Well, I worry about some things. Uh, I was worried that I, I wouldn't get readers that he was a big, big star in the 1940s. One of his films, Daisy Kenyon, his name appeared above Henry Fonda's, above the title. Uh, that's how big he was. Uh, but most, mo- maybe most people listening now don't know who Dana Andrews is. It's a marvelous actor. Anyway, to make a long story short, I thought the only way I'm going to connect with people, it's not going to get reviewed. It did get reviewed in some newspapers, but I reviewed for those newspapers and they, they did me a favor. Uh, by reviewing the book, but basically, it and so what I started doing was I started on Twitter sentences from the biography <laughs> and then say things like, you know, see university press in Mississippi, et cetera. Uh, so I started working up a network of people. I started from zero. I didn't have any help. I didn't pay anybody to do any of this. Cause I couldn't afford to do that. Uh, and, you know, that was 2009. It's taken these 2009 to have close to 5,000 Twitter followers. I found Twitter much, much more helpful uh, than Facebook. That may not be true for other authors. Uh, one of my books, uh, A Private Life of Michael Foot, has been reviewed nowhere. Uh, and it's it's uh, it hasn't sold a lot, but what it has sold has been through, again, social media through podcasts and interviews and and comments i've been making about the book the other thing about using twitter for people who are on twitter thinking about twitter is look at what other people are doing you know i've written on a number of hollywood figures uh and when i see something about Kevin Hepburn or particularly gary let's say Cooper's a appeared a number of films with Walter Brennan and Dana Andrews, two of my subjects, I'll retweet what other people say and ask you know, something that that wasn't said in the original tweet to get people in and try to build up an audience of of people following.
0: Carl, I'm one of your Twitter followers, and uh, I, I noticed that you tweet pretty regularly. Every day. Every day?
1: Yeah, I would say at least three tweets a day, uh, from the two books I'm working on, Sylvia Plath and William Faulkner, day by day, I tweet something from those books every single day.
0: That's interesting. So you, you would tweet an actual uh, sentence, or yeah, yeah, that.
1: stuff that's in the book. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I started doing this with Dana Andrews,
2: and I've done this with every book subsequently.
0: Huh. Carol, what's your experience been?
2: I'm sorry, I've really lagged on this. Uh, I do have a Twitter account, finally. I I use Facebook quite a bit, uh, but I, I know I'm always talking to the same people, you know. I have a lot, maybe a thousand followers on Facebook, maybe fewer than that, but uh, huh. you know, I haven't found that it sells a lot of books. It, all You know, my friends from high school are glad to know I'm an author, but... Uh, <laughs> 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 Um, so, and I don't even have a website. I should have a website. Someone told me that biograph- biographers didn't really need websites, and I took that as gospel. But I really should do that. I think it helps. I'm sure
1: it does. What one other thing about Twitter? I think it has improved the sales of certain books, but we're talking about figures in the hundreds, not the thousands. Right. In other words. I wouldn't recommend using Twitter or Facebook if it, if it pains you, you know, if it's taking away from what you think is your valuable time. I don't keep a diary. Twitter and Facebook are my diary. It's my diary. So, and I like it. I I, I like, I like, I like uh, arguing, you know, it's something I enjoy, but I know a lot of authors don't enjoy it at all. You don't enjoy it. Don't do it.
2: (laughs) That that might be my real feeling because I, I, Sometimes just wonder who has the time for this. And that's because I don't want to put the time into it. Uh, Which is on probably, the other hand, people do find my book and I think they find me on Facebook and message me. And, you know, I hear from writers or I'm sorry, readers quite often. I love it. So I'm glad I have enough of a presence on the media that people can find me at least.
1: <laughs> yeah. You, Carol, you will find some people will find you through a website too if you have a
2: website. Right. Well, I got an email just yesterday about the Carver book from a guy actually teaching, I think it's in New Jersey, Siena College. Oh, yeah. yeah, I have to answer that email, but I don't know where he found it, but it was nice to hear from him. Hmm.
0: Can we turn to the um, perhaps more conventional means of, uh, pub- of uh, publicizing a book, um, readings or uh, signings? Um, are these things uh, important? Uh, do you get mileage out of that? Uh, Carol, how about you? What's your experience?
2: I really love those things or you know we haven't had them for the last year and a half, but right. uh, The last time I went somewhere was to tattered cover books in Denver. well I'm somewhere now, but before this trip. Uh, I went to tattered covers books in Denver where my son lives. And gave a reading at a wonderful old bookstore downtown, and there were about thirty or forty people there. Uh, many of them had some connection to me or my son, but uh, you know, it it kind of turned into a celebration of the book, and I enjoyed that. Uh, people meeting each other, and of course, they all, most of them bought a book because they had come to, to the bookstore. So that was it can be very worthwhile I think if the bookstore does a good job of promoting uh, same time period uh, in early December I went to a bookstore in Madison, Wisconsin and there was one person there as well as a friend who traveled over to Madison with me um, and that person you know wanted to know how to get published
0: <laughs> We're talking. About-
2: which frequently happens. You get those kind of questions at readings. But, uh, you know, if the bookstore does a good job of getting people out for it, then I think it's a wonderful
0: opportunity. Carl, what's your experience with uh, readings and signings?
1: Uh, I enjoy them because that's me. I like audiences. I like that contact with people. So it's a lot of fun. I uh, had a funny experience at the Harvard bookstore where somebody attacked me. Uh, that's pretty rare. Usually they're pretty, pretty friendly people. I've had those bookstore signings, too, where one or two people show up. That is very depressing. Uh, and again, like with social media, if you don't like to meet and greet and talk to people in bookstores, don't do it. Because uh, you're, you know, for me, let's say I do a bookstore appearance and I sell 30 books. That's a rousing success. When I went on uh, because of the because of COVID and did uh, talks about my Faulkner book in particular, uh, I'd get over a hundred people, uh, and and you know I, I reached a lot more people online than I could ever in going to bookstores. I've I've never addressed a crowd in a bookstore that they was a hundred people as I say, 30 and 20 by the book, that's, that's a big success. Again, people will sometimes say, is your publisher sending you on a tour? <laughs> I have to laugh. You know, no publisher has ever sent me on a tour. I'm not one of those kinds of authors. Uh, they, they're not going to spend money on, on something like that, the airfare and or train fare or whatever it is. It's just, it just doesn't pay
0: with my next question I'd like to uh, zoom out from the grubby business of biography to perhaps more about why we do it um, why uh, do biographies matter uh, and um, why do we do that or, or should we simply be uh, read the read the literature why is literary criticism not enough why do we need to have biography of literary figures. Carol, you have a view of I, that? Well,
2: I'm, lately I certainly wonder about the distinction between literary criticism and biography. I think huh. we're now in a time period where we understand how important the life is to the work. So uh, a good biography, and, and I come from a background in literary criticism, so My biographies include a lot of criticism, Uh but the context is my reading of the life. Uh, Why do we do it? My goodness. (laughs) Uh, So we can stop reading dystopian novels about climate change?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a a very good answer.
2: (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I find it, you know, I think Wallace Stevens said it, it is the human that is the alien, but we are human. And uh, so it's endlessly fascinating to figure out what that means.
0: What do you think, Carl?
2: Well, the answer to why
1: I do it is I can't help myself. <laughs> That's one answer. The other thing is um, uh, I've always, uh, it, it, you know, stayed with me. I was reading one of Michael Holroyd's books about doing biography. And one of the things that said about biography is it prevents us from becoming too bookish. And I love that because there is something confining about literary criticism of finding that everything is simply in the book mm-hmm. and, and uh, not tying that to, you know, what went into the book, what came before the book, what comes after the book, what literary biography does is it it um, uh, adds a texture to the life of literature uh, that we wouldn't have without it. Uh, I think it's it's terribly important in that sense. It's it's why Samuel Johnson wrote Lives of the Poets because he's really telling us there are lives of of writers that books are in tied with that idea it's it it, even asking that question now would have been surprising to Johnson it's only been with the advent of modernism in the 20th century that critics uh, and authors uh, that is novelists and poets have tried to drive a wedge between the life and the art that's actually something relatively new in the literature the biographers are really on the side of And earlier, at least, going back to the 18th century, the notion of biography and the life.
0: I I think I have a question. Um, Do you like the people you've written written about? about? Um, Did your views of them change as you researched and wrote their stories? And have interesting things happened to you because of writing biography? Carol, would you like to? Take a shot at that.
2: Um, Very interesting things happen because of writing biography. Uh, For me, uh, I think I'm kind of a shy person in many ways. And biography has given me a a persona that takes me into the world in really interesting ways. I've certainly met wonderful people and been to places and uh, thought about my own life and the lives of People close to me in different ways because of the biograph- biographical perspective. That was the second half of your question. Oh, did I like the people? Um, well, not always. No, it's not required to like them. And it's probably not even a good idea to like them unreservedly because you wouldn't be able to write a good book about them if you were that enamored of them. Um, I think that's a problem when a writer is really enamored of their subject. I think you go through ups and downs with the person. It's really a relationship. It's an intense relationship that you're having with the person you're writing about. So, you know, you probably are fascinated by them at the beginning, but there are going to be times when you're completely fed up with them and would probably break up with them if it were <laughs> if it's a life really nice relationship. Someone asked me when I was writing about Carver, how how can you, you know, why bother? How can you stand to write about this guy who was such a terrible alcoholic and treated his family so badly? Uh, I to me that's sort of like the question of how can you read a depressing novel or uh, I don't know. It just it to me it wasn't a relevant question. Uh, my goal was to understand this guy and his work, and that was part of the story. But uh, the fact that I didn't like a lot of things about him wasn't a problem to me.
0: Carl, what are your thoughts? Did you like the people you've written about, by and large, or didn't you? Or
1: I like them as subjects. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. all, they're Their faults. Uh, I think uh, in a couple of cases I've met them. And in the case of Sontag, I met her and liked her enormously. Uh, and after I finished her bio- biography, I disliked her. Um, uh, I don't know if that shows in the book or not. Uh, I remained. I empathized. You know, I could see why she behaved the way she did. Uh, nevertheless, it was it was difficult. Um, so. It, it, you're so focused on, for me anyway, telling the story. It's that's no different from a novelist. Does a novelist have to like the characters he or she creates? I don't think so. Uh, and again, as Carol said, there are little pitfalls to fall in love with the subject or with the character. So uh, again, it's they're 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 all fascinating subjects. You want to know how they became, you know, what they what they did become.
0: And have interesting things happened to you because of writing a biography?
1: Met a lot of really interesting people, some of whom became friends, uh, and who pointed out really interesting things to
0: me. Yeah. Well, Carl, I think that our time is uh, just about up. and. Uh, okay. And I think I have uh, exhausted the questions I had no on the business of biography.
1: Well, Tim, I have to say, we're going to do a podcast interview about your biography, of Mary Hemingway. And one of the questions, don't answer it now, but one of the questions I'm going to ask you is, did you like Mary Hemingway?
0: <laughs> Thank you for the advance notice.
1: Yeah, you're, you're on warning. You're, you've been put on notice. <laughs> Okay, well, this has been lovely. It's a wonderful uh, uh, contribution to my podcast, to the new format. You're all obligated to do this again sometime.
0: Well, thanks, Carl. It's been a real pleasure for me. And as I was saying earlier, I wish I had the answers to some of these questions when I was struggling to write my first biography.
1: Okay, well, we'll we'll sign off till, uh, till the next time.
2: Thank you both. Thank
0: you. Thank you, Carol. Thank you, Carl. Bye-bye. Bye.